Get your Bibles and open up to the book of Job. And Father, I lift my voice over the sons and the daughters in this house. I'm lifting my voice today declaring that in every way you are God and there is not another. I'm thankful for the anointing that causes us to see and to hear, to see clearly, to hear clearly. I'm thankful for that anointing that breaks the yoke that separates our mind in the natural from the mind of God so that we can hear what it is you want to say. We honor you today. Let us in this service, let us in this time engage and enter into the magnificent God that you are in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So turn with me to Job chapter 26 and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. There's a few verses that I want to read there but I want to say something before I begin. For those of us who have committed our lives to Yahweh and who have received His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord, as our Savior, one would think, one would think that God's magnificence would not ever go unnoticed. In other words, to be magnificent is to be on a level, on a plane that is outside the norm. Something that is magnificent is unexpected. And expected. You expect something that is magnificent when someone said, if someone said, they just, this happened and it was magnificent, before they tell you what happened, you're expecting to hear something that you've never heard before. But you have an inclination that whatever you're about to hear, somehow you're going to be able to relate to. You're going to be able to identify with. So again, I want to say this. For those of us who have committed our lives to Yahweh and who have received His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord, you would think, one would think, that God's magnificent would never go unnoticed. And yet, it's amazing how that happens. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever, I know you have, but how many times have you gone out and you've just looked at the dark sky and you've seen the stars that are in the sky? Depending on where you live, you see more of them. But you've looked at the stars in the sky And you've thought to yourself, or you've said to someone who was standing there with you, you've said, my my goodness, those stars are beautiful. But how many times have you made that statement and not recognized that they're only there because God placed each one there individually? Every star is where it is on purpose. We love Montana. So we go to Montana once a year and we spend some time in Montana. I can tell you there's not a lot of light pollution in Montana. So in the skies at night, when you go outside at night, the sky is the darkest sky I think that I've ever seen anywhere. There is, it is as dark as it can be, so the stars, you are blown away by the magnitude of how many stars are actually in the sky. If I step outside on my front porch to let our dogs go to the bathroom, which we do frequently, and we do that at night. But I step outside to let the dogs go potty in the night, and I look up, I see stars. And there's a lot of them. But it does not even compare to what I see when I'm out in the western clear sky of Montana. And I look up into the sky, and you almost can't see darkness because there are so many stars lighting the sky. It is so vast. But how many times do we look at these things... How many times do we look at the lightning in the sky in a storm? And we watch that crack in the distance. I'm fascinated by lightning. I'm fascinated by storms. And they, 
And they do this in the sky, and we look at that, and we say, oh, that was cool. Did anybody see that? No, I didn't see it. How many times have we looked at those stars, or looked at the lightning, or looked at a cloud that could hold rain without busting open? Only at the voice of God, only at His direction. He will say, cloud, release it now. But until He tells that cloud to release the rain, the rain is caught up in that puff of nothing. And then he says, let it go. And suddenly there's rain. How many times have we observed the rain? How many times have we observed a tree grow or a cucumber develop on a vine? Or the stars in the sky and, not, and, and, and commented on how incredible it was, but not even one time looked up and, or looked at that thing or whatever it was and said, man, in this I see the magnificence of God. Man, he is magnificent. I want to read to you in Job 26. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north. He's talking about the Father right here in verse 7. He stretches out the north over the void, and he hangs the earth on nothing. Man, if you can get how, you, how magnificent one would actually have to be to be able to hang what relates to the mass of a weighty earth in the middle of nothing. Man, if we could just get that. We would not question. Can he fix my leg? Can he heal my marriage? Can he reach my son? Can he reach my daughter? Can he position me in the right place for the right employment? If we could just recognize, man, he hung it on nothing. There is no hanger on a rod with an earth dangling from it. It's out there in nothingness. He says, he stretched out the north over the void. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split. Split open under the weight of them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. Let me explain to you why Job is saying these things. His buddies have not been very good at ministering to him. They have not recognized the magnificence of God. They've recognized the not-so-magnificent Job. And they're focusing on what isn't magnificent. When instead, they could have been focusing on what is magnificent. And he says, he has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke or his voice. By his power, he stills the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens are made fair. And his hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. Woo! Do you get that this morning? These things don't even begin to touch his magnificence. These things cannot even begin to bring clarity and to define how great our God is. He says, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? In other words, he's saying exactly what I'm saying. These are outskirts. Why aren't we talking about that? He is such a magnificent God. Job said, why aren't we talking about that? 
Why are you focusing on the parts of me that don't seem to be magnificent to you and what maybe I've done wrong? Why aren't we focusing on the magnificence of God? Maybe when we turn our attention to His magnificence, our moment will change. Our moment, our day, our hour, our need. Behold, these are but the outskirts of His ways and how small a whisper do we hear of Him. But the thunder of His power... Who can understand? All this began to come to me, and I'm really excited about this series. I'm not going to spend a lot. I'm just prepping it today, but I'll get into it more in the next few weeks. But all of this came to me a few, about eight weeks ago. My wife and I had to, we have a puppy. We have two puppies. Neither of them are puppies, but we still call them puppies. But they're two labs. One of our labs, my wife noticed that the dog was, when it would run, she would run after our other dog, Oakley, and when she would run, she wouldn't run very far, and then she would stop and just sit down, and she would put one of her legs straight out. She would just sit with a leg straight out. I didn't really notice it at first. And my wife would say to me, honey, she, it just seems like she's favoring that leg. And I'm thinking, nah, she's just young. She can't chase Oakley and keep up with him, because Oakley's fast, man. He's like a, he's just fast, and he's strong, and he's all of those. So I was putting it away to unmagnificent things. And and then finally, one day I realized, man, she might be right. She does seem, little Bella, she does seem to be favoring that leg a little bit. So she said, let's, let's, let's take her to the vet and let's see what's going on. So we took her to the vet. I took her to the vet and a few minutes after the vet saw her, he, he called me on my cell phone because you couldn't go in the office. And he called me out in the parking lot and he said, Steve, I have uh, good news and bad news. The, the, the bad news is that um, we didn't even need to do x-rays because we know the problem. Both of her legs, she has... Lupsating the luxating patella, which means, in a dog's world, that means that her kneecap is on the, her kneecaps are on the side of her leg, not the front, because on the front of her leg, uh, normally there is a socket for the knee joint to fall, for it to get to, connect to. Hers, it has a groove, so it fits right. Hers has no groove. Neither of her knees have a groove for those bones to go together so the bones are twisting and the kneecaps are now on the outs or inside of her leg, outside of her legs. So her legs are, she's not bow-legged, but she's, you can see it. And he said, so that's the bad news. And the worst news is there's four stages. Stage one through uh, three can be corrected through surgery. Once they're at stage four, you have no choice but to put her down. She's little. She's a year old. She's precious. I mean, she stole our heart. And so he said, she's at stage three. And she's pushing, entering into stage four. So this is something you're going to need to do right away. So we had to make a decision because it's not cheap. We had to make a decision. How do we value this puppy? Do we want to do this? It's an investment. Do we want to do this or not? We chose to do it because we love her. And we did the surgery, so they go in, they do it, the surgery, it's an eight-week process, there's a lot to it, I won't get into all of that. But one day, I'm sitting with her, and the first two weeks, 24-7, you can't leave her side. She's at home, so it's a lot of work. She's on a leash, she can't run, she can't do anything, she's on, it's just difficult. And then we have another dog that wants to play. And so I'm sitting there with her one day during this two-week time, and I'm just rubbing her head, and she's on drugs, you know, she's cross-eyed, and she's all kind of looking at, and um, I don't know if that was politically correct or not, but it is what it is. And so she's trying to sort things out, and she's just got this distance in her eyes. 
And I'm just rubbing her, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm being real, I'm being honest. I'm thinking to myself what I didn't know that my wife, I didn't know what she was thinking. But the challenge and the difficulty of getting her through this, I thought, I don't know if we did the right thing, because I don't know that I have the energy to give her the attention she's going to need for eight weeks. She's just now about to complete her eighth week. So, and then I'm thinking, I wonder if we should have put her to sleep. And I was feeling so bad about what I was thinking, and I called my wife and I said, babe, I, I'm going to repent now for what I'm about to tell you, but I, I just, I got to get it off my heart. I love this puppy, but I'm not sure we did the right thing. I'm wondering if we should have put her to sleep. She's miserable. I, we can't, she can't do anything. We don't know that it's even going to work. And, and then my wife said to me, she said, I, I thought the same thing. And then we both agreed, let's just push each other through it. We've done it. Let's just push through this thing. So we have. But I'm sitting there and I'm petting her and I'm thinking all these thoughts. And I'm petting her and, and she's, it's just tough. And while I'm petting her, I'm looking at the incision on her leg. It's a six-inch long incision on the side of her leg where her knee is. And I'm looking at this incision. And I said to myself, Yahweh, you are magnificent. Because I'm beginning to get... No one could do this. They took her leg and they pulled her bones apart, cut the tendons. Then they took a drill with a little tool on the end of it and they ground a groove into the top of whatever the bottom leg bone is. They put a groove in there. Then they reattached the legs. Then they put pins in the tendons that they had to cut so that they would stay there. She wants to run and do all these things only because she's on drugs. <laughs> a lot. She was on a lot of drugs. But I'm looking at that and I'm thinking in my mind all that they did and I said, Yahweh, you are magnificent. And I begin to then think of all the ways and begin to verbally say it. I was home alone with the dogs. It was just us. And I begin to verbally speak in my mouth and I said, Yahweh, you are magnificent in the way you are healing this puppy. You are magnificent in the way you gave doctors the knowledge to be able to wield a scalpel and a drill and whatever else and pins and know how to use them to put her Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yahweh, are you, you are magnificent. And I begin to speak these things, all the different ways that he was a magnificent God. I could not help but consider that. And then I begin to put that up against what my original thoughts were. Well, it would just been easier if we had put you down. But the Father, if we had put her down, we would have removed an opportunity to see the hand of God move through man or woman, I don't know who did the surgery, but man or woman, we would have missed the opportunity to see the magnificence of God revealed in people. John chapter 4, read, go there with me if you would please. This is a little bit longer, let me read it in my Bible. Baby, can I use your reading glasses please? These look really good on me. They... I used to use Miss Liz. Then when my wife needed them, it just worked out. I want to read to you out of John chapter 4. Let's begin with verse 5. 
So Christ came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he, went, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. You're very familiar with this story. I've shared it many times. For his disciples had gone away because they were hungry and they bought food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You do your thing, we do ours, and we're all happy about that. But Jesus answered, and he said, well, let's see. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And then Jesus replied to her and he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, would you give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water? She misinterpreted what he was saying, but pay attention to what happens here. It's amazing. Jesus said to her, listen, go get your husband. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had a lot of them. And the dude you're with right now isn't. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit because they acknowledge Him and truth, they react to what they have come to know. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must first acknowledge He is and then react by the soul. Did you get that this morning? That mind, will, and emotions is going to enter into what it is, the revelation that you begin to get about how magnificent my God is. I can't go there yet. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He, is called, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm that guy. I am that guy. I speak, who speak to you am he. I can keep them? Thank you. I might need them again. I who speak to you am he. So to worship the Father in spirit and truth, that is God's design. Spirit is our awareness of his presence. Truth is our reaction to what we become aware of. Spirit is spirit, but truth is soul. So when we enter into this, and I can tell you today, the soul will get excited about what stands before it that is magnificent. The nature of man is not impressed with those things that are easily done. In other words, if someone comes to you and they said to you, they said, listen, what I want to do is I want to buy you a Starbucks coffee. You might get excited about that, but you're not going to go, because you could go get your own. But somebody comes to you, And they say this to you, they say, you know what, it's word and spirit to me. I'm going to go buy you a brand new 
Ford F-150. Brand spanking new. You tell me what you want. All of a sudden, there's going to be a reaction to that. Whoa! Because you couldn't do it on your own. You recognize that is beyond my own ability. That became a magnificent thing to you. Because it's outside of what you are capable of. So your soul man, your natural man reacts to the awareness that somebody said, Hey, we heard God and you come into agreement with that. Yes, you did. (laughs) So when I talk about his magnificence and I recognize this woman at the well. As she is sitting at that well and she's looking at him. He did not become magnificent to her because he was Christ. Listen to me. He was Christ when he got to the well. She didn't recognize it. He was not any more Jesus when he left her than he was when he got there. Are you hearing me today? When he walked up to that well, he was as much Christ, as much anointed, as much the Son of God when he walked up as he was when he walked away. But something magnificent happened about the Father. He became, he is both, he's two things. He is radical, yet he is relatable. He walks up to this well where this woman is standing. They shouldn't even be standing with a Jew, Jew not standing with her. But he walks up to this well as the son of, or is the son of God, but not as the son of God. Hear me. He is the son of God. But he did not walk up by wearing, for lack of a better way to put it, the title over his head. I'm the son of God. Had he done that, The woman might have said, Oh, I see the title on his head. He says he's the son of God. Immediately, questions would have arisen. Oh, this blasphemer. I'm running to my village not to tell them about who he has become to me. I'm going to run to my village and tell them about the man who is a blasphemer. He didn't change me. He made me mad. So he thought it ideal not to come as the Christ, but to come as Jesus, a man on a journey. His magnificence is revealed in that he did not find his identity in who he was. He used the moment that God had given him to demonstrate in his relationship and in his communication and in his conversation with this woman, he used that moment to make himself known to her without criticizing or rebuking her. So he says, Woman, it's not water from this well that I want. There's a water I can tell you about, you can have, that will give you, it will be living water, will give you eternal life. Well, but you don't understand Christ. Or you don't understand, sir. My father's worshipped here. Your people worship there. And he said, well, you know, you're not getting it. Let me be magnificent in this moment. Without being obviously magnificent. 
He says, you don't get it. See, he said, this is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you that those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth, and it won't matter actually where they're worshiping from. It will not matter whether it's on this mountain or that mountain. This well or that well. What will matter is, do they have a heart for the truth? And if they come to the Father and by the Spirit they begin to hear His voice, the man, the woman, the soul will begin to follow. Those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Ma'am, where's your husband? Well, I don't have a husband. No, you're right. You don't now. But you've worn a few out. In fact, the man that you're with right now isn't your husband. How do you know that? He didn't say, well, what do you expect? I'm Jesus. I'm magnificent. I'm all-knowing. What, have you lost your mind? You didn't know who I was when I came up? What's wrong with you, woman? He didn't do that. How do you know that, sir? I perceive. Suddenly, your magnificence has been revealed to me. You are a prophet. Not because you crammed something on me or in me. But because you led me on a journey. You recognized where I was. And your magnificence showed up by taking me by the hand and taking me on a walk. Not telling me, jump off the cliff, you idiot. You said you didn't, you didn't do that. I'm going to run to my village and I'm going to tell everyone whom I have met. He said, you are right. You have, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. But I am not that because I told you. I am that because the spirit of God that is in you just connected with the soul that is in you. And what you knew about God, suddenly your natural man recognized and said, I get it. This one standing in front of me, what a magnificent God he is. Do you hear me today? When we look at the stars, as I mentioned earlier, when we look at the moon, I gaze at the moon. I'll go out and I'll look at the moon and I'm just, I always try to see, and I go out in our yard sometimes and I'm looking for, for satellites and stuff and we see them every now and then. You can always tell if it's a satellite because it's blazing across the sky real quick. And we'll go out there and we'll look for them and we'll see one every now and then just, just zipping across the sky. We'll stand out in our driveway sometimes and we'll watch the rockets launch from Cape Canaveral and we can literally go to the end of our driveway. We'll take our dogs down there and especially a night launch. And we'll go down there, we'll see the sky light up, and we'll see these rockets go up, and then the separation, all the way from Eustace. And we'll watch this thing take place. That's the magnificence of God. Can I tell you today, the Father is interested. He's going to be both radical and relatable. And he wants us to be radical in the sense of, I don't really even like that word, but he wants us to be radical in the sense that we're willing to keep walking but relatable in the sense that we don't outwalk the people that are with us. He said, don't run when there are people around you walking. Don't jump if they're still standing still. 
You don't bring the revelation. Christ didn't come to the well and say, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And man, I'm telling you, you need to receive me. And you need to, don't worry about this water anymore. He didn't do that. Took her on a journey. Took her on a journey. Took her on a journey. Because he was radical, he brought something new to her. The day's coming. Let me tell you something, radical woman. The day's coming, you're not going to worship here or there. Let me tell you something else more radical. I, I know who you've been with. What would you like to know about your life? And see, begin to do this, his magnificence began to show up to the point where she, she said, You are a prophet. I get it today. You are more than man. But he didn't come in there and tell her, Jump. He came in there and said, let me find out. This is the magnificence of God at work. This is how we should be radical and relatable. We have a truth. We have a revelation. We can't throw it on people. Walk in what the Father reveals to us and invite people to be a part of it. Don't command it. Don't demand it. Don't get mad if they don't get it. But look around you. And if they're walking, walk at their pace. That's the nature of leadership. If they're running, go ahead and run. Just be a little bit in front of them so that they have something to follow. Follow. But let the magnificence of God show up because the Father is trying to show up in you today. And He's trying to show up in me. He's trying to show up in all of His sons and daughters. And He said, I want to reveal my magnificence in you. I want you to be radical and I want you to be relatable. I want you to be somebody who knows who you are at the same time, not forget where you came from. Accept that growing others is an opportunity for you to reveal His magnificence in you. Christ pursued transformation in others. He did not look to destroy or, and rebuild. He didn't go to that woman. And he didn't say to her, I'm going to tear down your mountain. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to chastise everything you've ever done. I'm going to tell you all the ways you got it wrong. He did not do that to that woman. What he did was he sought out transformation. He said, I'm aware of where you are. I'm going to take a journey with you. He could have corrected every statement that she made. But did he? He just brought truth to it. One of the things I love about parables is his magnificence shows up in parables. He'll begin to speak and he'll say, you know what, these people, if I tell them what I'm really thinking, they'll never get it. But I'm going to make it relatable. I'm going to talk to them about seed. They know about seed because they're farmers. I'm going to talk to them about fish. They know about fish because they're fishermen. I'm going to talk to them about wealth and money. because They know what that is because they're tax collectors or they're wealthy. I'm going to talk to them about soldiers because they're commanders. I'm going to talk to them about things that they identify with. And I'm going to use those things to bring truth. I'm going to be marvelous, magnificent in the middle of the truth without making sure in the beginning, if you knew who I was, you would just get a hold of this. I'm just going to take them on a journey. He pursued transformation. He did not try to destroy anyone and then try to rebuild them.
He's not interested in destruction and rebuilding. In fact, he said it wasn't him that was destroying and rebuilding. It was that those who opposed him, Jews and Romans, it was those who opposed him. He said, what they're going to do is they're going to tear this temple down again, but we're going to rebuild it in three days. You watch what my, my daddy can do. He's not about tearing down and building up. What he's about is transformation. He's about saying this, let me find what you're doing that's good. And if we focus on that and we begin to grow that seed, the things that aren't good will naturally fall away. Let's not focus on all the inadequacies. Let's focus on purpose. If we can focus on purpose, His magnificence will show up. If you, in your life, can begin to focus on how amazing and marvelous and miraculous and magnificent that God is around you, You'll begin, when you look in the mirror, to see how magnificent He is in you. So I want the words of my mouth to make way today for transformation in you. I want you to see His magnificence in everything around you. And I'm going to give you an assignment. Next week when we come in here, I want to hear from you. What magnificence did you see this week that you had not observed before but now you've come, become aware what water was transformed from a liquid to a voice this week I want to hear it I want my words to radically be radically 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 in pursuit of truth but relatable enough so that you can understand them we serve a magnificent God in the next few weeks, we're going to move into His magnificence in depth. And we're going to dig in. We're going to dive in. You're going to be a part of that. We're going to move in. We're going to dig in. We're, you're going to be a part of that. You're going to be standing up here. You're going to talk about His magnificence and how you saw it and how it changed. When you recognized it, suddenly, it's like the woman at the well, when she looked across there and the moment became real to her. <gasps> you're a prophet. You are a prophet. She went from... <sighs> I wish this guy would stop talking. I've got work to do too. <gasps> That's going to happen to you this week. You're going to have a moment. Might not be beside a well. Might not be beside the water cooler. But you're going to have a moment this week when you're going to look somewhere. Something's going to show up and suddenly you're going to say, oh my. This is his magnificence. And he's going to show you things you had not seen. I said this recently and I'm going to say it again right now as I wrap this up. The gospel does not change. The word of God does not change. It has never changed. The gospel is today what it was in the very beginning. But where his magnificence shows up is when he begins to help us understand it differently today than we did in the beginning. The Bible, the word spoken or written is today what it has always been, but we understand it different. So his word has never changed, but our understanding of his word has as we have grown up in him. You hearing me today? Look for his magnificence, and I want to hear about it. Stand with me if you would, please. Father, I bless you today. I declare over you.